Why should business schools offer opportunities and training for students to discuss identity? Welcome to the Interfaith Business Network podcast with your hosts, Brianne White and Angie Luol. In today's episode, we speak with Eddie Banks-Crossan, Director of Student Life at Wharton, about why, as colleagues, family members, and classmates, we should create opportunities to discuss what matters to us and what we believe in. Eddie, thank you so much for being here today. We're so happy to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, including your current role and your religious identity? Sure. Uh, my name is Eddie Banks Crossan. Um, originally from Alabama, born and raised. Uh, been in the Northeast for about 15 years, lived in New York for an eight year stint, and now here in Philadelphia. And specifically at the University of Pennsylvania, I am the director of MBA Student Life at the Warden School. Um, I am Christian, specifically, uh, denominationally, I am a Baptist. That's great. We're so excited to have you on the show. We haven't invited any Baptists on the show before, so welcome. So my first question for you is, as we explore throughout other episodes in this podcast, um, Brianna and I have noticed that religious identity is one of the last taboo DEI subjects. People often feel uncomfortable talking about or even mentioning other people's religion at work. Mm-hmm. One possible reason for this might be because people are worried about how some religious identities might clash with other identities. For example, religious identities with LGBTQ identities. Can you tell us about how your identities as a Black, gay, Christian man show up at work? So interestingly enough, my top two identities would be being Black and also being Christian. So those are the things that I think that show up mostly at work. I will tell you, I, I don't often think about being gay right? Like, you know, when I'm at church and the pastor references LGBT and, you know, I go to a really inclusive church that talks about like we, the old church is dead, right? Like we're not the church that will um, oppress women or oppress LGBT. Like we, the church needs to live inside us and build community. And so those are the moments where I'm thinking like, oh, that's me. So I wouldn't say uh, being gay for me is something that um, is something that I, I think about every day. Now, do I think about being black and Christian every day? Absolutely. Um, and it's, it, it, I think that informs how I show up at work. And I will also say to you, and they're barking. That's great, Eddie. We love it when our furry friends join us on the podcast. Just keep on going. Um, you know, I will also say to you, um, being where I'm from, right? Like religion is a part of our everyday fiber. Um, and so I grew up, I mean, specifically Black Baptist, right? Like, you know, Christianity um, got us through slavery. And so it's often talked about and led with in most dialogues that um, I've been in now. Um, interestingly enough, my older brother, that's, you know, I'm the baby and the one that's right above me is Muslim. And I remember when he converted to Islam and, and my brother Jamal, I mean, he changed his name. And I remember my father saying to me, I mean, you can be whatever religion, but did you have to change your name? Right. Like he went from a Banks to Ali. He went from Michael to Jamal. Um, and that was something that was really, really important to him. And I remember the, the friction and tension around his association. And he grew um, very deeply in um in the muslim faith and is still very much active today he was in chicago and very much a part of the muslim community in chicago like 
interestingly enough, from such a strong Black Baptist family, you know, there are other aspects of my family that, you know, that, that look towards um, worshiping in a different way. Eddie, it sounds like your dog has calmed down a little bit now. <laughs> Great. Um, that, that's really interesting that you share about um, your background and coming from a Black Baptist family and, and your brother as well. You work in an office with coworkers from several different faith traditions. How does your workplace help employees feel comfortable bringing their whole selves to work, whether it's religiously or their race or ethnicity or anything like that? What I often think about is, you know, somebody will say something where, you know, we've been a success and I'm like, praise God, or, or I lead with comments like that. Not, I will say not necessarily to throw my faith in other people's face, right? But it, it is to share aspects of who I am. And um, I, to be honest, Brianne, if we want to drill down on that question a little bit more, I didn't even realize it. I mean, it's so a part of my tongue that I remember we were doing CTM um, with one of the first cohorts and faith came up. And um, Kristen actually pointed out, well, you know, Eddie actually is pretty pronounced in his, you know, um, observance of his faith. And he talks about it often. And I was like, oh, I guess I do, right? Um, and Kristen often says, you know, she, she calls herself a recovering Catholic. Um, or you look at Nather, who um, his, the part of the world he's from, his ethnic identity is also Muslim, right? Um, and then Evan Kaneke, who just departed, who, you know, I would give the kid my left leg if he needed it. Evan was actively practicing and, and identified as Jewish. So we all just kind of showed up and we recognized we all were good people from different faith backgrounds and you know the goal was to get the job done and we could also talk about these other things as well and i have appreciation for you know obviously my brother with islam but also evan uh, one of my close friends from new york is jewish and so we would always talk about going to the synagogue and you know et cetera et cetera et cetera so um there's a level of comfort that i have because i ultimately my dad used to say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something and particularly for me my pastor, he, you know, one of his uh, descriptors of me is that I'm very hopeful, uh, almost to a fault. And so I think my hope comes from my faith and the fact that we, we start out as really good people and we can get back there. And there's a compass, you know, in which we can chart the course of our lives based on what we believe and, and, and immerse ourselves in it, right? Like my goal, honestly, Brian, is never to throw it in anybody's face. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, Faith is important to me. And if you to, if you are to know me and accept me, you have to understand that. And I will tell you, so going back to your question, Angie, right? Like if we talk about the sexual identity, the sexual orientation, right? Like I have some friends that are gay that they take steps back when I'm talking about religion and I'm talking about faith. Faith. My, um, my best friend here who is not gay, wife, two kids, is deeply rooted in Catholicism. And I actually sit on the board of the Catholic school that he went to school at. So there's so many different ways in which we honor one another through spirituality. You know, um, I could go on and on about those kinds of things. But, you know, my, my, my friends that are LGBT, sometimes they have to take a step back and they, you know, but they can also tell me they don't believe and that's okay, right? Like I, I think our spiritual journey is ours and it's intimate to ourselves. And, you know, if someone identifies as atheist or agnostic, that doesn't take away from how I feel the goodness in who they are, if that makes sense. 
Eddie, you brought up so many interesting thoughts for me about how important it is that we're able to honor each other's spirituality and identities. If maybe if the identity doesn't identify as spiritual, not only in the workplace, but also in your personal life and your friendships with your family. You mentioned Evan and Kristen. So are these coworkers at the Office of Student Life? They were. Well, Evan, well, Evan is now me at TCU, but Evan worked for me the longest. He reported to me at Syracuse as well. So I've known Evan for eight years. And I remember calling him and saying, how do you like Texas? Are you happy? And he was like, well, there's not a lot of Jews in Texas. I said, well, I got a, I got a job for you that you'll be happy with. And so he came to Philly and worked for me for three years. And I was sad to see him go, but Evan got married and grew. But I mean, I even saw his wife transition to Judaism, right? Like, so yeah, I just, like I said, I, I think spirituality connects us in more ways than it separates us. And unfortunately, the elephant in the room is religion has been the most pronounced oppressive vehicle that uh, man has used against another person. As the director of student life at Wharton, and you just mentioned working at Syracuse, working at other places, other universities, what have you learned about what students need to thrive and to feel comfortable being themselves in the classroom and in their social life? I think giving them room to do that, right? Like a natural bias, you know, a mechanism that we have inside of us is that when someone walks in the room, our instant reflex is to size them up and assess them and then compare them against ourselves, right? And so the goal is to recognize that that is a natural human reaction to check it, and but then also provide a space in which they can be themselves. And that has what I have seen um, in the many, you know, not only Wharton students, but the, you know, the many people that have come through my office, Hindu, however they associate, have really valued a place where they can be themselves. And the thing about, you know, I have a 10 year, 11 year old, I need to stop calling him 10. He's a, he just turned 11. I have an 11 year old that I am teaching, like his, he is big on the golden rule right? Like you teach, you treat people how you want to be treated. I'm like, nah, bruh, you need to treat people how they want to be treated and recognizing what they need in order to be successful and feel comfortable. This, this isn't about you. I said, you know, the, the golden rule is actually a very selfish rule. And it's a very self-reflective rule. Whereas if you actually get to know and invest in someone, you understand how they need to be treated and what they need in order to feel comfortable. And I, and I would hope not always great at it, right? But I, I would hope that there is some success in how I engage in my role that reflects that, that in turn allows people to be comfortable in themselves. So relatedly, both Angie and I attend business schools that strive to be leaders in diversity initiatives. Both Wharton and Marshall, for the first time ever this year, have more than 50% women business students for the class of 2023. But when we've asked around campus if religion and faith identities are included in these diversity initiatives, we often get the response that students aren't really interested in talking about religion. However, data from the Pew Research Center shows that 51% of 18 to 29 year olds are absolutely certain they believe in God, and 40% say religion is very important in their life. From your perspective, Eddie, what is it about the business school context that assumes students aren't interested in talking about religion? And what areas of opportunity for including religion and faith in DEI conversations and initiatives? Brian, I'll be honest, I think that's really interesting. And I say that from a perspective of 
and I can only speak to Wharton, right? Like I don't want to take every other business school with me, but our premise is diversity. It is the all-encompassing identities that inform how you show up in society, and that is inclusive of religion. Now, do I or should I, as a DEI person, raise religion comparatively higher than the other identities? No. I will say to you, in the conversations, like if I think about conversations that matter, religion comes up. Actually, you know, I, a piece of information I will share is a student that will be in this cohort actually led with faith in, in their narrative. I'm going to interrupt you and just explain what Conversations That Matter is sure. um, to our listeners. So Conversations That Matter, it's a program that Wharton does for MBA students in different cohorts so that those are groups of students. So they're actually facilitated conversations that students are able to talk about different topics and things that really matter to them. So anyway, go ahead, Eddie. Yeah. So in CTM, I mean, it, it, it certainly does come up. Now, will I say that the narrative ends up back in a place of race and ethnicity? Sure. Right? Like if you think about the climate that we're living in, you think about the world that we're living in, that very much is a dominant topic. And I would even go as far as saying, particularly in America, diversity has meant black and white. And it has taken some work or it is taking work to get folks to see beyond race and ethnicity. And then you'll get, we then start to get like this, um, we dip our feet in sexual orientation, right? Because that's a, that's a topic today. And now I would even say we're, we, we have stepped into gender and what that means for us, right? Like, so I, I do think it's an evolving topic. I will say, particularly in the work that we do, religion is not excluded. And we actually encourage those conversations. I remember a dear student from our first cohort identified as Jewish. And we had really rich conversations around what it meant to be a Middle Eastern Jew, but then come to America and be othered ethnically, right? But also being othered by people that were Jewish in America. So we, we dance these dances. And if we could work, if we put as much effort into making people feel as if they belonged in relation to the effort we put into making money, I think the world would be a better place. Eddie, I love what you just said. If we put as much effort into making people feel like they belonged as we do into making money, the world would be a better place. Oh my God, yeah. Wow, what a quotable thing you just said. You mentioned conversations that matter. So why is it important to create spaces like conversations that matter, opportunities for students to talk about faith, belief, and identity? Because I think it's an opportunity for, well, one, I will say to you, there's data that suggests or there's data that points to, right? And it, whether it's data data or not, companies are not as suited to provide this level of education as business schools are. So what do I mean by that? We are better positioned to challenge the thought process around beliefs, understanding, and I would even say inclusivity in the business school arena Companies and corporations and startups are just not set up that way to where it can be fruitful. Now, if you go in with the proper training, right, and a level of consciousness, right, that promotes your level of comfort in whatever your identity is, 
I think then the company benefits from that. But I, it has to start in an academic setting because I think people in some ways you can disarm perception when done the right way. I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that because we've actually had some really great guests on our podcast who started initiatives in their workplace, employee resource groups or other things where they focused on this interfaith perspective and were able to really quickly get a lot of people, especially in the tech sector, on board and having panels about people's different Muslims traditions for Ramadan and having a day of, you know, people who wanted to join in for fasting for Ramadan or talking about um, different religious holidays. So I think your point that business schools can definitely be on board with this, I totally agree with, but I also just want to challenge a little bit that it can't be done in the workplace. I think that hand in hand together, um, it can be sort of a symbiotic relationship of getting better and better, but don't want to discourage people who are currently doing the work in the business world. Totally, totally, totally. And I appreciate the challenge. I will say to you, as someone who led the faculty and staff of color at Syracuse, oftentimes I was called into the room with recruiters that just told me they were good at recruiting people of color, right? And so my, my push was always, okay, so you get them there, then what? Other than you being the white man that can herd people of color, how are they being supported? And, and, and I'm sure that there's an evolution, right? But I, 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 the skeptic in me also wonders, how are we being supported beyond the panel? Because I've sat on many. And how are we being supported beyond the conversation, right? How are people made to feel that they can show up to work and really be them, their full selves and be successful? Um, and I'm not saying, I, I will say to you, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm, 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 I'm a thousand percent sure that it does exist, but is it, does it exist at the volume in which people can thrive um, and find stability and comfort in that? That's all. That's what I would say. And, and I would even, so let me criticize school, right? Are we doing that? Right? I think people would have opinions about that, right? And I welcome those as well. I would say, and I, and I would also think that my corporate and company colleagues would agree, we're trying, right? Like every day I get up and we try. I may not always win, right? But the goal is to try to make a place where folks feel like they can be themselves. Um, and show up and promote their faith and be celebrated. Yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective as well. I mean, one of the reasons that Angie and I started this podcast was because we thought that business schools and businesses could do it better. And we wanted to create conversations around that. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on it. I would even say, I I'll often tell my team, folks do DEI work in some instances because they there's a button on the jacket. And so students would always say to me, why isn't it on websites? And I'm like, so if it's on a website, what is it? You want a button on a jacket or you want to see the work that we do? Like we can put it on a webpage and it can live there. But the goal is actually, to be quite honest, Brianne, the goal is to do the work and you not even feel it. You're doing the work and you show up and people automatically feel like this is a place that they belong. You know, just to comment a little bit on that, one of the hats I wear in my current role, in my new role, is this culture piece. And we're a small startup, mostly people of color. And this conversation is coming up for me a lot about how do we not only recruit people of color, but retain people of color and what support and systems need to be in place to make sure that everyone does feel like they belong and they have what they need to succeed. And it's totally different coming from a 
prior employment at a big giant company with hundreds of thousands of employees and going to a small scrappy startup that's growing quickly. But I feel like those skill sets that both of you were, were speaking to can start being built in the classroom. How do you develop a curious mindset? People who know that empathy is important and are willing to have those conversations. And then how do you create workplaces where those conversations can continue to happen? Because ultimately people are going to move the work forward, not, not, the, not the company, not the school. It's going to be the people. Eddie, if there's one thing that you want listeners to take away from this conversation, what would you want that to be? I will say that there's beauty in difference. There's beauty in spirituality. There's beauty in sexuality. There's beauty in gender. There's just beauty in ethnicity, you know. Um, and to your point, Angie, if we just approached everything with curiosity, we could see that beauty and see how vibrant it is. One of the byproducts of the pandemic and I, I hear students say to me, you can't just blame it on the pandemic. I can't because I think, uh, well, actually I can do whatever I want to do, <laughs> but secondarily, I will say to you, I think the pandemic has allowed people to operate in their ecosystem and it has become fortified. So where people feel shut out if you're not in that ecosystem and it's in turn allowed us to be more separate than one another and not curious about each other. And assumptions are now being made. And I'm not saying assumptions didn't exist prior to the pandemic, but we're leading with our assumptions now more than I think we've ever done. I think about Ibrahim Bengali from Chicago, an actively practicing Muslim, was one of my most favorite students that I enjoyed spending time with. And we talked at great length about religion and spirituality and ways in which, in ways in which it connected us. Um, and Ibrahim has a very, very rich sentimentality around his evolution in his faith. And we would often talk about the show Rami. I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with that. Rami is a show on Hulu. Um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite shows. There's two seasons and talk about the complexity in the show, but the show is about Rami, an actively practicing Muslim 20-something, right, in this conservative family. And he is trying to be a good Muslim while acknowledging the distractions in life. And you can't tell me that a Christian can't relate to that. Um, you can't tell me that a Hindu can't relate to that, a Buddhist can't relate to that. So circling back, uh, my long yellow brick road of your answer is there's beauty and difference. And there's more that really connects us than, than divides us if we're willing to be curious about one another. Eddie, thank you so much. I love that you ended with this. There is beauty in difference. And Angie and I hope that our listeners take that from this podcast, all of the episodes as well, that there is beauty and difference and that as we are curious, we can find that beauty and see that beauty. Thank you for listening to the Interfaith Business Network podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow at Interfaith Biz on Twitter. That's Interfaith B-I-Z. You can also join our network on LinkedIn and Slack. Learn more at interfaithbusinessnetwork.com. Thank you also to Interfaith Youth Corps for funding this podcast and to our friends at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and AI in Faith for their partnership and support. 
Until next time.